This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Toronto City Council has just approved another $22 million to help reduce the number of crashes and deaths on Toronto's streets. That more than doubles the $21 million already budgeted for Vision Zero for this year. And so far, that program has unfortunately not reduced the numbers of deaths at all. So far this year, 21 cyclists and pedestrians have been killed on our streets. All of this comes at a time of increasing conflict between cyclists and and drivers. And according to that new poll that Bob was talking about, most people say it is the cyclists who cause more problems than drivers. Mayor John Tory joins me now. Welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure, Libby. Okay. So first of all, what's your reaction to that, that most people in that poll think it's the, the problem is the cyclists? I think the problem is sort of neither of the above. I, mean, I always place the onus actually more on car drivers, not because they're being deliberately more careless, but they're surrounded by two tons of steel. So when they get into some kind of an interaction, uh, you know, with anybody, a pedestrian or a, a cyclist, you know who's going to lose. And so, but I think the broader problem is that there's been a breakdown of what I think used to be kind of a, a social contract, they sometimes call it, that existed between everybody, drivers, cyclists, pedestrians, that we all looked out for each other. And now it just seems that in a lot of areas of life, including how we sort of use the roads and get around, we all think that it's our right to be the, the ones that are, have the right of way, or we don't really have to pay attention to what the other people are doing. And if we're going to be sharing this public space, these roads and sidewalks and whatnot, as between cyclists and pedestrians and and uh, drivers, we have to learn to share. And that involves behavior we all know from day one about sharing and looking out for the other guy and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I'm not one to assess blame more on one group than another, but I think there's an onus that rests on drivers simply because they're driving more powerful steel vehicles that can do a lot of harm to people if you're not uh, careful. Now, uh, you've said that uh, the impact of this new money will be felt immediately, or some of it will. How so? What exactly? Well, I mean, if you look at, for example, we had budgeted, uh, as you mentioned, $21 million, so that would have allowed us to establish, for example, a certain number of these new senior zones where we put up signage, maybe even add a crosswalk, uh, lower speed limits, and so on. If we have more money, we can simply do more of that faster and hire more crews to put up more of these signs and uh, add more red light cameras. The red light cameras have proven to be very helpful in terms of of catching people who speed through intersections and go through red lights and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, the same with our introduction of photo radar. And a lot of cases involve uh, changing intersections so that when people, say, are making a right turn, it forces them to be more careful and to be a bit slower. And so we can, you know, renovate and redesign more of those intersections with more of the money. And I was very careful in asking for the $13 million, which, by the way, so that the people know, came out of a very healthy 
surplus the city government had last year, which two hundred and sixty million dollars. The, the surplus was yes, just shy of three hundred million, and so um, I was very careful in in asking for this money to actually ask for an amount that the city staff said they could responsibly invest, so that they actually could get stuff done this year. Because that's the idea. It's not to say this is a never never plan. It's this year, and so all the things that I mentioned are things that are going to be done now, and it just allows us to speed them up and have more crews and buy more signs and buy more you know, of, of those uh, put in more traffic calming measures in neighborhoods, and it's all coming from this money. A, a lot of the problem is that people just don't understand what they suppose, what they are supposed to do, and, it, and what you are supposed to do is different at different intersections. You know, and it's not only different at different intersections, it's different than, the, you know, I got my license, like I'm 64, so when did I get my <laughs> license? 48 years ago. Things have changed. There, there didn't used to be too many cyclists on the road, and there weren't as many pedestrians. The city was a lot smaller. Cars were less powerful. And so I think it is, yes. And I think the Toronto Star actually, you know, performed a valuable service in, in a way with this article they wrote about the one intersection. I, at I agree. Richmond. But the thing is, that intersection is different from another one down the street and another one in Etobicoke and another one in Scarborough. And so, Are I you unifying them? Well, we have to do that, be consistent. Uh, that's difficult because they're unique. But also I think we have to educate the public better. I still... I'm am getting used to the fact that when you make a right turn, you have to look over your right shoulder to check the cycle lane. I mean, people are not used to that because those cycle lanes didn't used to exist. And so I just think that's all the kind of thing we're going to have to do is to do all these modifications that cost money, but also educate the public and make sure, as you say, there's a degree of consistency as to how we set up the bike lanes and the turning lanes and so on so that people you know, can get used to how it's supposed to be at most places. Now, uh, a lot of people are starting to notice they're saying, you know, uh, when it comes to left turns, a lot of people are treating red lights as a go. And I've heard a lot of complaints about that. But the fact is that in a lot of actually major places where there are legal left turns, you can't turn left on a green. And if there is an advanced green, it lasts for like one car. Uh, so are you planning to do anything about that? Yes, we're constantly reviewing the timing because, you know, it's interesting when you mention that. If you made an adjustment of even five seconds, and, of course, all of this is, you know, it's, it's a trade-off. For the five seconds you add to the advanced green, then you are delaying the green light or, 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 or whatever being given to somebody else. But um, we can make those adjustments through the computer to allow that advanced green arrow, for example, to last three or four seconds longer and let two or three cars get through. And it's safer because then you don't have people that are sort of, as you say, going through effectively a red light or doing things like that. So we're constantly doing that. But we have like almost 3,000 signals in the city of Toronto. So that's how big the challenge is. And I would just urge people if they have a place where they think there's a particular too short, you know, advanced green, for example, and there's huge lineups of cars and frustrations and red lights being, uh, you know, passed through. Tell us about it. Send a note to me at my office or send a note to 311 or a phone and tell us about that intersection. We can re-examine it and even just adding a few seconds sometimes makes a big difference and really improve safety. Bathurst and Harvard. All right, well, fine. <laughs> You've done it. You've done your job on the airwaves and I will look into it. Okay, I know you have to get back to the meeting. Just one more question yes. on a different note. Sure. Um, and uh, yesterday we were talking to Adam Vaughn and I know that he reassured you that there would be more money flowing uh, to a stem the refugee crisis. Uh, but even with money, uh, given that a lot of these people have to vacate the dorms within a month, where are you going to put them? Do you have a well, plan? As usual, as usual, you've put your finger right on the real issue. And I've made clear, and I, 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 the federal government has been a very good partner to Toronto. Let me say that on transit and a number of other things. But 
the real issue here is not even about money. We want to be compensated because we don't think the city taxpayers should solely bear the responsibility of housing the refugees. But the real issue that I'm after them on now is they need to help us with this issue of the 800 people in the dormitories to identify. You can't tell me there isn't a single federal building or a single a piece of land or whatever where we couldn't have them help us, uh, you know, to house these people in the post-August 8th time when the dormitories are back for, for the students. And so, yes, the money is uh, an issue, but the much bigger issue is I need them to help us as partners to help provide a place where these uh, refugees and asylum claimants can be housed, and that's the real issue, not money. I mean, the money is an issue, but it's not the issue. And uh, there's talk that you're going to close community centers for the public to house them. Uh, people are upset about that. Well, people, of course. I mean, so am I. And I've said I won't do it. That's what, what triggered this week's uh, you know, public statement was that the original contingency plan that we've been provided for by the professional public service here, and they were just trying to do their jobs and saying, well, if, if there was nowhere else to have people go, you can't have them out on the street, families with young children. So we'd sort of identified uh, community centers, or they had, and I just said, I'm not doing that because uh, it's just not the right answer, especially when we know there are other facilities the other governments have or other things they can do beyond money to help us divert some of these people to other places uh, and help us solve the problem. That's all I'm asking for is a partnership with them where they agree not just to try and send us a check or tell us our numbers are wrong, but to step up and be real partners with us in housing the people who should not be housed in community centers and will not be able to be housed in dormitories anymore. Okay. Uh, Mayor John Tory, thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate it. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, people, I know that some of you have been waiting patiently on the phone, so I'm asking you to be just a little more patient. Right now, I'm going to bring in Councillor John Burnside. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Good. You're here. Okay. So uh, you've been in the meetings and you've heard what uh, the mayor had to say. Are you satisfied that this bit of extra money uh, is going to have an immediate impact in in alleviating this basic carnage on the roads? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to have an impact uh, for sure. My big concern with the whole Vision Zero plan, if you will, and there are many, there are four or five different elements to it. The one area that we seem to forget uh, is is that of enforcement. And we know that driver behavior is crucial in, in all these situations, or most of them, and, and we need to alter that. Last, last year alone, for instance, Libby, uh, the, the number of tickets written by police has gone down by 30%. So it's fine to put up zebra markings and more signs, although I think we have, we're inundated with signs and they just become wallpaper. Um, but really, we also have to try, um, we have to change driver behavior. And, you know, long term, yeah, we're going to redo intersections, and, and that's great. But that can take 5, 10, 20, 30 years. And if we, you know, we need action now, and that's, that's going to take a, a heck of a lot more enforcement, in my opinion. Well, um, I agree with you that we need enforcement. I mean, some of the things that I have started to see on my daily commute, which is quite small, are unbelievable. I mean... I've seen on a regular basis, people uh, get so frustrated, they turn right from the left lane. At least they signal. Well, and in in the area in Leaside, uh, we have the LRT going through, so there are a lot of lane reductions, and the same thing happens. People just come up in in one lane and, and turn from the wrong lane and almost take out pedestrians. And But if you don't think you're going to get caught... 
um, you know, and you're frustrated, you're going to do it. The problem is bad behavior breeds more bad behavior. Sort of, hey, if he's doing it, I will too. Okay, well, I, I, I just brought this up with the mayor. So I run into a lot of left turns, legal left turns, where basically you cannot turn left unless you do it at a time you're not really supposed to do it. So uh, you're at a major intersection, and the car's going straight. Start going straight and put big speed on, uh, you know, as it's yellow. And it then turns red, and you have a huge lineup of cars trying to turn left, and not a single one of them has turned left. So no wonder people are frustrated. Well, absolutely. In downtown, especially, you see people clogging the intersection. Uh, you know, we're, we are introducing uh, what we call photo radar, um, but there's a lot more technology out there. There are, yes, we have red light cameras, but there are turn cameras, there are stop sign cameras, they actually take video. Uh, unfortunately, the province hasn't allowed us to use that technology, but we get also, there's also technology for clogging up intersections. You know, you get a $100 ticket for, for clogging up the intersection. Intersection. You, you think mean twice just the blocking next time. the intersection? Blocking the intersection, yeah. absolutely. And you know where there's no, where there are no repercussions, people are going to going to push the envelope. Yeah, and and sometimes it's a little confusing. You know, I t- turning right on my way home. There's there's a place where the 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 block is not exactly where the light is, right? And there's a line, and there's a big sign for people coming down Bathurst saying "Do not block intersection," and they do it all the time. Right. And I think, you know, quite frankly, I think our our driving habits have, there's been a degradation of our driving habits. I mean, there are a lot of these situations are are popping up more and more, but a lot of these intersections have been around for 50, 60, 100 years. So I think there's, there's, uh, you know, we just... We need people to understand what they're doing. That situation over at Richmond and Bay that was in the Star and the Mayor talked about, Mm -hmm. uh, that's my way to work. I complained to our city transportation department for over a year about that intersection. Originally, they had a solid line separating the, the lane and the, and the uh, green area. And for a, it took me a year and probably 15 calls just to, to fix it to the state it's in now. So we can talk <laughs> about being serious, but when it takes somebody a year, and the situation was far worse last year. Okay, I'm going to ask you to hang on. Uh, We are about to bring in Albert Cole, who is a lawyer and a road safety and cycling advocate. But first, I'm going to take a call from Jerry, who's been waiting very patiently. Hi, Jerry. Good good afternoon, Libby. Uh, I've been a uh, taxi owner operator in the city of Toronto for 45 years, and I can unequivocally tell you the major problem with bicycles and motor vehicles are cyclists. The politicians and the people that, uh, you know, go for the bicyclists, they forget that a bicycle under the Ontario Highway Traffic Act is a motor vehicle. They're supposed to abide by the rules, but you constantly see them going through red lights, going through stop signs, making right-hand turns on red lights, and the number one thing that I find is most dangerous of all, they come up and pass you on the right, which is totally illegal. No, I'm not sure it is illegal. I think they actually have the right of way. And no, I'm wondering the same thing, because it's, 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 it's dangerous. Because, no, and they, look, look, they don't have the right to pass you on the right-hand side because they're a motor vehicle. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Councillor Burnside. I think that in the bike lanes, they actually do have the right of way. Well, if it's a bike lane, that's fine. But I'm talking about roads 
that don't have a bike lane. They're, ah. they're passing you on the right-hand side. But but even where there is a bike lane, it can be, and I'm going to go back to uh, John Burnside and a- Albert Cole on this, because you can look both ways and then start to make your turn and suddenly a bike wants to pass you while you're doing that and it's uh, terrifying. Anyway, Jerry, thanks for your call. We're going to see the response to it. Um, Let's uh, bring in Albert Cole. Hi, Albert. Uh, Hi, Libby. So what do you have to say to what our caller said? Um, Well, well, first of all, I'm you know, in terms of the historical perspective, if we look back, if we're looking back a number of years in the uh, 70s and 80s, we actually had, uh, you know, a lot more road deaths than we have today. Uh, what's changed today is we've started to put uh, due attention to the problem of road safety and, and road deaths. Uh, in terms of what the caller was talking about, I mean, I think there's, you know, confusion at, at intersections. So so I would say, you know, it's definitely a good practice. If, if there's no bike lane, someone's turning right, you really want to give that car, um, you know, let him, let that car uh, finish the turn because you're putting yourself in danger. But uh, as you mentioned, now we've got so many different uh, configurations at intersections. There's some confusion. So so I think those rules need to be uh, clarified and uh, um, and move forward from there. Councillor Burnside, also Councillor Burnside, what do you think? Most people think it's the fault of the cyclists. Uh, whenever I talk to experts, they say that is not the case, and they also say, as the mayor did, uh, you're in a car, you know, you're bigger than they are. Well, I mean, I think we have to all be responsible for our, for our own safety. Now, in terms of who's right or wrong, uh, a cyclist is a vehicle. He or she is not a motor vehicle. Uh, there's the ultimate onus on anyone making a turn is ensuring it's safe to do so. So as a driver, if I want to make a right turn, I hug the curb so that the cyclist isn't coming in between my vehicle and the curb. And, and then the cyclists either stop or they go around on my left, hi- left side. That is perfectly legal. Uh, this idea that they can't pass on the right, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, but as I say, I think there's an onus on us all to make sure what we're doing is safe and make sure that uh, we watch out for, for all the other uh, crazy people on the road. Okay, so here I'm asking, if I'm making a legal right turn on a street where there's a bike lane, right? And okay, okay I can't always um, hug the curb. Uh, does the cyclist have the right to pass me on the right? One hundred percent. They do have the right of way. Yes. Well, you can't make a turn unless it's safe to do so. So sometimes they come like right out of nowhere. You look right, you look left, you look right again, and then somebody's put on a huge amount of speed after you've started turning. Well, that may well be, but you're supposed to get as close as close to the curb as practicable. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand where there are bike lanes. Sometimes, like at Bay and Richmond, they actually they, they mix the, the cars with the bikes so you can get to the curb. Over at Young Street, you can't. Uh, but ultimately, when you're making a turn left or right, you have to um, make sure it's safe to do so. So the ultimate onus is on whoever is turning. Okay. Um, and, John, in terms of the enforcement, I mean, you know, we, we have limited resources, police officers. Um, do you think that, you know, what is your solution to that? Because basically they can't be everywhere all the time. And, you know, we want most cops to be catching bad guys. 
Well, right. I mean, uh, well, first of all, I would say the, the ultimate solution is, is using more technology to our advantage. And as I say, right now, we've only got red light cameras. We're getting speed cameras within the next year, but there's a lot more technology available to us. I would make the argument that you need more police officers doing traffic directly. Uh, these are choices we have to make as a society. And to think that putting up zebra markings or more signs is really going to change someone's behavior who's hell-bent on getting somewhere, I think is uh, naive at best. Uh, we, the province changed the rules a number of years ago so that the city actually keeps the revenue from the tickets they issue. So I think there's probably even a business case um, to be made for hiring more police officers. And I, the last point I wanted to make, Libby, is that one of the leading causes of accidents, if not the leading cause of accidents, uh, are distracted, well, distracted drivers. Distracted drivers. Yeah, let's call and them crashes. They're not yeah, accidents. They're not accidents. Nothing's an accident. Fair enough. Uh, collisions, whatever the case might be, but it's that distracted driver. I was walking. Uh, I walked about a hundred meters up a up a side street. People were waiting at a light. Four of them were on their phones. And, you know, there's a $500 ticket right there, $2,000 in, in the space of five minutes. So there, it, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And also, by the way, that. now that you mentioned that, uh, I want to take some calls. There also, I see an increasing number of pedestrians crossing the street with their eyes on their phones. I mean, it's not illegal, but it's really dumb. Well, it's funny because on my way into work, uh, I was coming up Victoria, and there was a person crossing mid-block, head down, on their phone, yeah. head, headset on, didn't even look, like didn't even try to make eye contact with me. So that's why I say, you know, at the end of the day, we have to be responsible for our own safety. That's a, that's a very good plan. Uh, let's hear from uh, Monica in Mississauga. Hey, Monica. Hello, Libby. Thank you for taking me. Um, I have two uh, very important things to say, but I'll say them as quick as I can. I live at the centre, city centre, uh, where the Maryland Towers are in Mississauga, city centre, Burnhamthorpe, Highway 10 in Burnhamthorpe. Big, big, major intersection. Um, when I come out of where I live, this is a three-way now, this is a three-way light system where I come out of Absolute Avenue. Onto Highway 10, I want to turn left. I'm very, very good at all times in turning into the, the proper lane, but I can't do it there. And I would hate for anyone to ever pull me over. The reason being is that just about with a two-minute walk down the road is the major lights at Highway 10 in Burnhamthorpe. And I now have five lights to cross, five lanes to cross, because I want to turn right. So I have to really, I have to actually make my way out of Absolute Avenue across those l lanes and turn into the the right turn lane. And I, I would suggest to the police officer that I'm probably doing the safest possible thing I can do for everyone concerned, because trying to turn into the proper lane <laughs> and then move over, because there are about four or five lanes on each side, to try and turn right would be impossible. Okay, thanks for that. Now, there's, there's one other thing that you just... Uh, we, we're, we're, uh, I'm, I'm going to move on to uh, someone else, but we'll get a comment on that. Thanks, Monica. Uh, so, uh, uh, Councillor Burnside, um, any comment on that? 
Well, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. It's, uh, the caller raised a great point, and everyone does it, but they need to change their driver behavior. So first of all, think of a different way. Uh, it would be my first suggestion. The other suggestion is, is go to the next street or turn around and then make the like there are a lot of different options but people get hell-bent on oh i gotta get to that street right now i have to as quickly as possible and if you can't get over there and and do what's what's uh legal and safe go to the next street and i don't understand why people don't do that <laughs> good point uh let's take one more call from kate in toronto hello kate hello um thank you for taking my call you're very I, welcome i wanted to address the comment that was made that the cyclist has absolutely the right of way to go straight through when a driver is turning right. Because we've, we've declared that a bicycle is a vehicle, not motorized, but it's a vehicle. If I'm behind somebody turning right, I don't try to sneak up on the right side of them and go straight through. Um, just, because, yep. just because the bicycle can fit doesn't make it the right thing to do. It doesn't make it the right thing to do, but if the law says they have the right of way, they have the right of way. But and, I'm, well, I'm not sure that they do, because well, everything that I've read says that if you're on a bicycle and the car is turning right, it's the vehicle in front of you. Uh, now, normally, when you're going by a vehicle that's turning right, you go to the left of that vehicle. It's common sense. Okay, Why well, you try I'll, to sneak through on the right? I will run that by Councillor Burnside, Kate. Again, thanks for your call. Okay, so, uh, yeah, people say they don't have the right of way, so they do, correct, Councillor? Yeah, I mean, in in my 10 years as a a police officer, uh, that was my understanding. There are some things that may seem counterintuitive, but ultimately... (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Right, ultimately, well, first of all, cars, if you're a slower-moving vehicle, you're supposed to stay to the right. Yeah. Okay, so which cyclists have to do. They can't ride in the middle of the lane. So, you, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't say stay to the right and so that cars can pass you, but now, you know, when they're making a turn, you don't have priority when you're making a turn. Unless there's a, a you know, like a green arrow saying turn only and, and someone's going straight, obviously that's a different situation. But turning vehicles, I don't care if it's a left or right, um, have to ensure that it's safe to do so. Okay. Yeah, and I'd like to just uh, add to uh, what John said. I mean, ultimately, what we're trying to do uh, with uh, more bike lanes, more infrastructure, and I see there's quite a bit of support across the country, according to that recent poll, uh, we're trying to separate um, those two vehicles, which acknowledges, uh, as the mayor said, I mean, the car is an inherently uh, dangerous uh, vehicle to other road users. So we're trying to separate uh, as much as we can uh, cars from, um, especially at intersections where a lot of the uh, collisions are are occurring so separating cars from uh, from bicyclists and from pedestrians uh, trying to make those intersections uh, um, safer for everyone but uh, that's that's really an important start so where the, where there's a confusion it, it I mean ultimately it doesn't matter who has the right because in the sense that uh, if a car is going to hit you, you as a cyclist or a pedestrian are going to pay the price. So, so really, our long-term work is, as it is under Vision Zero, to try to separate these different groups, trying to make it safe, recognize the inherent uh, danger of uh, motor vehicles to other road users, and that's a way that we can ultimately protect, uh, best protect people. Okay, uh, we've got to wrap things up right there, people. Uh, if we couldn't take your call, remember, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. And thank you so much to Councillor John Burnside and Albert Cole. Thank you very much. Thank you, Libby. Bye. Thank you.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.